If you don't know what metabolic health is, then buckle up because I think it might be the single most important idea for your family's physical well-being. Metabolic health encompasses just about every chronic health problem we deal with in modern society from obesity to diabetes to heart disease and even cancer. Today's guests run a yearly scientific conference on metabolic health like nothing I've ever been to. As a recovering academic myself, I've been to more scientific conferences than I can possibly remember, and they're all pretty boring, to be quite honest. But theirs called the Metabolic Health Summit is not only full of the top scientists researching metabolic health, it also has a bunch of practice-oriented sessions like how to actually implement nutritional or other metabolic health actions into your life. It's truly the most engaging scientific conference I've ever been to. Angela Poff, PhD, is a research associate in the Department of Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology at the University of South Florida in Tampa, Florida. Her research focuses on non-toxic metabolic therapies for cancer and neurological disorders. Her co-founder in the Metabolic Health Summit is Victoria Field, who is a professional athlete, a TV anchor for a decade, and has worked on metabolic health-related research nonprofits. I'm really grateful to Angela and Victoria for breaking down the complex science of metabolic health into bite-sized chunks and for giving us some tangible takeaways. So without further ado, here's our conversation with the amazing and insightful Angela Poff and Victoria Field. We met Victoria before Metabolic Health Summit was even a thing. So um, we met Victoria through Quest. Do you remember that, Victoria? Yes, I was actually looking through pictures this morning. Oh, no way. Yeah, where you guys came to visit. And I just remember, you see your energy walking in that door with, with Max. And you met, I think the first time that we met was with Callie was there as well, the dog. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Just to throw in a little random side yep. note. But we it was sort of this... You know, we had been working on sort of with the founders of of Quest, a nonprofit that was involved in cancer research and canines, then went on to become involved with people. And it was this sort of meeting of you guys had been doing all of your incredible work with families and obviously through Max and his journey and, and making a big impact there. And I just remember meeting you guys for the first time. I was like, I have to be around these people and continue to collaborate with them because they're just such a, you guys are just such a special group. And I really felt that on the first day that we met. So yes, I remember it. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. And then we worked with you over a while because Quest was working on keto products at the time. And so you were helping us just tweak and fine tune uh, the ketogenic diet and just on a really practical, just everyday level of how does a family, you know, just go from day to day, fixing foods, preparing foods in also, a way that... Also, yeah, yeah, Max is... The cancer progressed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you all jumped in and I remember it was like, okay, we're sending you food. We're sending <laughs> you... And, and like, we were about yeah. to do a road trip and you stocked us up with food and like helped us kickstart Again, because he had always been, you know, from well, from the time we met, um, anyway, since 2012. When did he go keto? 2013? Two, September of 2013 was. was yeah. So, but, you know, we do the kind of like variations where when he's doing good, he goes higher protein. And then, you know, and so we had to get back into therapeutic ketosis 
and you all jumped in like family. Okay, I do have to note there will be hopefully people listening to this who have no idea what keto is. So we'll uh, we'll get to that at at uh, <laughs> later on in the podcast. So just just put a put a pin in that. But right now we're just taking a walk down memory, memory lane. lane. But so. it, it, I mean, isn't it crazy to think though in 2013? when we were talking about what we were doing with Max and I'm sure both of you like can, can walk down that memory lane. People would be like, you what, (laughs) what are you talking about? And then now, Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, Kim Kim Kardashian. Uh, Yeah. I mean, every other magazine in the store. Yeah. I mean, that that Kim's been doing forever. You're like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) it was, that was one of the reasons why I loved meeting you because it was like, there's this family that's been just, struggling. I mean, very similar to Charlie of the Charlie Foundation, that yeah. story with Jim and and just struggling to find resources and putting the pieces together, but then also helping other families along the way. That was the crazy part to me where you were taking your own super challenging situation and really turning it into a way of, gosh, this is a need for so many others as well. And but it was really cool to connect because it was like, here we were in our little silo. And I, I was on the nonprofit side, you know, heading up a nonprofit that just happened to be sort of associated with the founders of Quest. And, and we were doing our sort of research that was uh, thanks to what, you know, Dr. Angela Poff was doing in the lab. And it was this sort of perfect, beautiful storm of, I, I feel like meeting of, of people that just turned into so much more and, uh, it, it's a weird story because it started with canines for us and then, and then yeah, right. and turned into a scientific conference. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the scientific conference, I remember attending the first year of that and, and uh, just being blown away because I had been in academia for a, a long time and I would go to academic conferences and it was just like, uh, it, just a, a little piece of my soul would die every time. Yeah. It just was not. <laughs> yeah. N- I I remember telling a fellow grad student this early on in my first PhD program, like, I hate these things. Like, and, and he looked at me so strange. He's like, what? I love it. And, and so I, I should have taken that right then of like, dude, this is not for you. But I, instead I stuck around and I got two PhDs. So I, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but anyways, I'm at this conference and there's like legit, scientific presentations alongside really practice oriented presentations alongside and this really cool outside area with all of these keto products that that were brand new to me and beating the people behind them and it was just an amazing event and i remember telling Audra and Max Love Project families like this is super unique like this it's like is, our coachella yeah. <laughs> for our people, you know, the Coachella for for nerds, yeah. Coachella for science and medicine. <laughs> yeah. It's called the Metabolic Health Summit now because of COVID, things have gone all wonky. We we were lucky enough to have one last year, right before things went crazy. So we a year ago, I know, just like right right in. But this year, no Metabolic Health S- Summit. Next year, yes. But um, for people who are wondering what the heck are they talking, what is metabolic health? Let's just let's just try to define this this, this term real quick. And Angela already alluded to the fact that this is a slippery term. <laughs> it is, yeah. Oh, it's absolutely slippery. And you know, and I think Victoria said also, I think in jest partly, you know, that it's the absence of metabolic disease. 
but that's almost like as specific as you can get without or as general as you can get without being really specific, you know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. You either need to go get a PhD or be, uh, or uh, be happy with it. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, but it isn't. And I think from, you know, a, a clinical perspective, it's that definition is really focused on certain factors, metabolic parameters that, we know are tightly associated with, you know, links to development of diseases like cardiovascular disease, obesity, diabetes, stroke, and then as we know, actually many, many more diseases that don't seem so obviously linked. But if you have, you know, certain risk factors, so abnormalities in, for example, your mm -hmm. blood sugar. So if you have uh, chronically elevated blood sugar or uh, insulin resistance and abnormalities in cholesterol or triglycerides, these things that would be indicative of metabolic disease uh, or dysfunction. And then we know that these markers are all sort you know, correlated to these specific diseases that then can develop over time. So, you know, it's kind of hard to, to say other than, you know, really, truly like, an absence of abnormalities and these really important factors. And I think, I think that is what metabolic health is from a clinical perspective. So from a, like just a regular parent perspective, if I'm trying to understand metabolism, mm -hmm. so the way that I have thought about it, and maybe this is like way too simplistic, but I think about it as metabolism is taking stuff from the outside and converting it into energy and waste. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. So I would say that's one half of metabolism. So that's what we would call catabolism. So catabolism is the breakdown of the things that you take in, these large you know, biomolecules. So the food you eat, for example, and then you break it down through the catabolic pathways, catabolism, into energy, these small little packets of energy that then you're your tissue can use to run everything that it does. So your, your cells need these small little packets of energy called ATP, and they fuel every action that happens in all your tissues. Anabolism is the opposite direction. So taking small molecules like amino acids that then combine to form proteins um, or nucleotides that combine to form DNA, that's the other direction. So you have catabolism and anab anabolism. And of course, in, um, as adults, you know, we don't have a ton of anabolism going on in like our kind of steady state situation. I mean, you're hitting the gym, you know, you're building muscle protein, things like that. Right. But like most of your tissues are kind of like at this homeostatic point, but for kids, you know, they're taking in energy mm. and then repackaging it to grow. Right. So the anabolic side of metabolism is, is really important uh, there as well. It plays a much larger role in the everyday life of a, of a growing child, I would say, but it's important for everyone, but yeah, that's metabolism is kind of those, those two, two sides of the same coin. All right. So then we can think about it as taking stuff from the outside to convert into energy and into like building blocks of stuff like yeah. muscle and tissues and bone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. all, all right. And so a, a parent is thinking about their own child's health. Is there any advantage for them to understand metabolic health as separate from any other aspect of their kid's health? Yeah, I think so. I think that metabolic health is one of the most 
malleable aspects of our health most susceptible to influence by our lifestyle. And so as a parent, the habits that you know you instill in your children when they're growing really define for so many people the way that they're going to live their life, you know, for the rest of their life. And and it's much harder for an adult to kind of overturn uh, decades of maybe, you know, poor lifestyle choices where it comes to, you know, exercise or diet or whatever, rather than, you know, from the beginning, trying to instill those habits that would work towards metabolic health in a child. So you think about doing everything you can to set your kid up for a long, healthy, you know, happy life. And I think metabolic health is, you know, absolutely key to that. Full disclosure, I'm not a parent. So I'm just speaking from uh, as, as an outsider looking in. But I think for so many probably parents, you think about sort of gene- genetics playing this like massive role, which it does for sure. But our choices, the daily choices that we make, the simple, you know, how we, how we choose to eat, how we choose to stress or not, <laughs> um, how we sleep, how much sunlight we get, all of these different sort of lifestyle factors, as Angela suggested, what, you know, makes such a difference in how things kind of play out, I think, for the, the child, you know, what things turn on or off, right? So I think, uh, it, to put it simply, and I, and I think that's where we find things sort of very interesting because we're seeing sort of metabolism as this key feature and common thread of so many diseases these days. I mean, you look at Metabolic Health Summit and all the areas that we're covering, right? Um, it's, it's really interesting to see how it impacts that. So I think um, it's important to consider the choices that we make as we're thinking about, you know, raising kids and as I'm thinking about them in the future. <laughs> yeah, Victoria, I think that's an amazing point that you bring up that our genetics are not necessarily our destiny, right? And with Metabolic Health Summit, you're seeing people completely change the odds, turn their lives around very often later on down the path, right? And in that process of, of, of being a part of this with so many different disease states, so many different opportunities for change through lifestyle, you know, it does make me think that you can look down that path and say, man, if we got to this earlier, what are the opportunities, right? Yeah. Victoria, you mentioned several actions, behaviors. So you talked about diet, you talked about sleep, you talked about well, stress or stress isn't an action, but stress management is. So if I were to go to the Metabolic Health Summit, what are some of the uh, behaviors that I would see studied? What are the things that I could learn about that I can affect in my own life? Like, What does it mean to actually do metabolic health in one's life? Metabolic Health Summit has really kind of grown over the years as well. I mean, ketogenic metabolic therapy has been sort of like the key focus, but in that we've kind of expanded it. And so it was originally called the Conference on Nutritional Ketosis and Metabolic Therapeutics. (laughs) Say that 12 times fast. (laughs) (laughs) The kids loved it though. (laughs) (laughs) Very kid friendly. Um, But it evolved over time into Metabolic Health Summit because 
there were so many sort of factors and, and things that we were sort of seeing in the research that how that was kind of evolving that we needed to kind of include in the conversation. So, um, you know, it's not just uh, nutrition. It's also sort of, we, we make sure to include things like sleep, um, obviously exercise, human performance, uh, stress reduction is a huge, huge thing. And in, in fact, um, an area we actually included a meditation up on the uh, helicopter pad yeah. last year. And we want to include that more because there's a lot of really interesting research there. Um, next year, we also want to be inclusive of the gut microbiome. There's so, you know, our gut health, um, you know, it, getting out into the sunshine, vitamin, vitamin D, there's so many factors, right, that we've really kind of expanded what Metabolic Health Summit sort of incorporates, because over time, too, that definition and, and what that means sort of can evolve as well. I think as we learn, as we kind of sit on the cutting edge, sort of cusp of, of science, nutrition, and health science, I think that that we need to give that room to evolve. But what's very clear is that metabolic health really runs deep throughout our entire life. And yeah, is so like every, and yeah, yeah, there's so many important factors, right, that I could give you a list. And I think, as we talked about sort of like the definition of metabolic health, and sort of being the absence of metabolic disease, it's taken on this whole new life, especially now, sort of, given the pandemic and everything metabolic, the sort of words metabolic health have taken on so much more meaning and have sort of involved so much more than just what we're eating. Mm. That's such a great point. And um, it makes me think or brings up for me the um, concept that's alive and well in the Maxwell project community and that of bio-individuality, which mm. defies prescription. But when we're new to this, we're just getting into these kind of some of these lifestyle changes and many of us working to overcome the standard American lifestyle. We want to fall into a prescription, right? We want to fall into like, there's only one way to do this. And this is, you know, the one way. So it strikes me that as metabolic health, as a summit is expanding, I'm seeing more of that like feeling of attention to bioindividuality that you need to tap into you right? Your own health goals, how you respond to things, what your unique needs are. And there's so many ways of going about doing this. So I'm really interested in how we can help foster that kind of with, with parents and, and families. Because it seems like it's really hard. So many of us need a book and a prescription, right? Like, like how do you develop that mindfulness to, to get to know yourself or and your kids, your families? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging. Like go down that sort of road yeah. to find what works for you. Yeah, it is a lot of trial and error, I will say, just as being sort of a lifelong, you know, just seeker of <laughs> metabolic health and taking my own health to the next level. It's so different for everybody. There's, you know, everybody is so unique in how they respond to things, even sort of a ketogenic diet. I mean, you can see that, uh, not to get deep into that, but you can see that in sort of even the markers that people measure, it, you know, cholesterol being one of them, how different and individual we are and how we respond to that, whether or not that's good or bad, you know, it's up for another discussion, but it's, it is a lot of trial and error, but it's also, you know, you guys are doing it right. And, and that's why I, I feel so passionately about what you guys are doing, because I think it's so needed in the world to be able to guide, especially families. I mean, you're not just talking about 
trying to figure out your own metabolic health. You're trying to also balance that with your family. I can't even imagine that. You know, I just try to balance my, my metabolic health and my dogs and that's hard <laughs> enough. Well, oh, well, yeah, that- and you've got Josh too. I mean, like what do you two do uh, or in your families um, in this space of your own diversity within your family units and bio-individuality and all of that? Like how, what, what is that like for you both personally? Yeah, for us, um, you know, it's been a a learning process, I think, as it goes in any marriage to figure out, you know, we've always valued, I think, at at different points, too, we've, uh, we've obviously always valued nutrition and exercise and have really understood what we both kind of need as individuals prior to us sort of getting into our relationship. But as we've gone throughout time, much like you referred to, I think before we started the recording, uh, you know, different sleep schedules and different, <laughs> you know, like I could stay up really late and work throughout the night. And then, you know, so we've now become very in sync with that, but it's, it's uh, come to sort of like the realization and, and in getting different devices that have helped us kind of see how we both respond differently. I mean, it, I, I don't oh, want to nerd out too much here, but you know, we both have aura rings and, um, you know, we both started to talk about how, how important sleep is and how different of an experience each night we have. And even talking about, you know, maybe the best thing to do is sleep in different rooms. So we get our individual needs met. So it's been a really interesting process and we probably nerd out a little bit more on our own individual data more than most, but I think it, it, it really has been, it's really important to be communicative, I think with each other because you're so different. And I, and for us, uh, that was really apparent when we both got COVID, how differently we responded to that. Um, that was another oh, wow. really yeah. big eye opener for us that, wow, we're very different. You know, I got hit hard and and he had sort of cold like symptoms. So, and same with our dogs. I mean, we have two different dogs. One can be a little pain in the butt, but we love him. And the other has a, ha- suffered from a traumatic brain injury. And so actually... Uh, monitoring their stress levels and what throws one off with seizures and <laughs> the other way right. sort of acting out. Mm. It's, it's been uh, interesting, but it's not been, I'm sure as challenging as, as being able to balance that within a family with human children. <laughs> I can only imagine. So I would love to, you know, hear from you guys on how you guys balance that. Not to flip the script, but you know. no, no, please do it, Angela. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. What about for you, Angela? Uh, well, the, uh, wait. And can I preface yours, Angela? I just to give yours yours more context. I'm super interested. <laughs> well, in uh, how parenting has has changed what you thought you were gonna like. Right. Mike Tyson has. Uh, saying everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and I f- <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like having having a baby is like getting punched in the mouth. Oh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> it is. <laughs> as much as you think you you know you're re- you're ready and you know what's going to come, you're right. It, it is. It is like getting punched in the mouth. It, it's completely eye opening in so many ways. And you know, I think for me and my husband, we. We have really benefited. So we have we have a three year old. He just turned three, and then our daughter just turned. She's almost ten months. So she was born like right at the beginning of the pandemic, yeah. like in April. And I remember back then, like being so so worried, and it just seemed so extreme at the time. Not realizing that, like, oh, it's gonna get a lot worse. You know, like, in <laughs> <laughs> it was a great time to have a baby in the pandemic. But anyways, um, you know, so it was kind of under the context of all the stress. 
but you know, my husband and I, my husband is a emergency physician. We met in college. So we went through graduate school and med school together. It was, you know, difficult years where we were both just studying and working and just <laughs> challenging times, and especially with him being in the ER, you know, he is constantly flipping between days and night shifts and he has really long shifts and he still does at this point. And this year obviously has been particularly challenging for many reasons uh, because of COVID. But, you know, when we had our son three years ago, I think there's something about your children. You would do anything for them to give them what they need you know, you would forego whatever you need. But then the second that they come into the picture, it's, you know, you would do anything, right? So I think that having him really made me prioritize my own health. I I wouldn't say I had like a great like mental like perspective around like work-life balance before my son. And I, even though like I had like an incredibly supportive boss, for example, um, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, is my boss. We've worked together for a decade now, and he is the kindest, most supportive boss yeah. you could ever have. There's something about you know and the career and like that I chose in research. It just doesn't end. I'm sure, Justin, you've experienced that. You can yep. just you know decide to never. There is off. literally no no end. I mean, there's no point at which like okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah, right. And then of course, with my husband going through that too. But when, when our son came into the picture, and then even more when um, Lorelai came into the picture, our daughter, in the middle of a pandemic, it just really brought to surface, you know, what is important, what is less important, and doing the things that keep us as a family unit healthy and thriving and together and give us the best opportunity to have as much happy, you know, healthy, happy time together. That was just such a motivating factor that I guess I didn't care about myself as much, <laughs> you know, as I care about my children. And I think that that has just been just absolutely life-changing in that regard. So, you know, even though this year has by far been the most difficult of our life, uh, my husband and I have looked at each other recently and said, wow, this is like the best year of our life. Oh my wow. God. I'd love to hear that. Oh, geez. What has what has surprised you, Angela, the most? Like going into uh, being a parent, I'm sure you had lots of I- ideals, like <laughs> ideals about how you know you know a lot about health and metabolic health in yeah. particular, and so it's like okay, you know, I'm like I've got it all planned out. What have you learned yeah. about what is doable, not what's perfect, but what is achievable? Right, exactly. And that's what immediately came to mind. I think there's a saying that's like, don't let great become the enemy of good or something. Yes. Like that, right. Yep. So, yep. You know, you have these ideas, you want to do everything perfectly. And then you have a three-year-old and he that's doesn't right. necessarily want to do everything perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make him. Like nope. as much as you want, as much yes. as you want him to 100% of the time choose the healthy thing and the, you know, all of that, but you support and you, and you prioritize and 
you hope that the majority of the times we make it and we, we make the right decisions, but then, you know, you also accept that life is not perfect. And- Angela, is there a non-negotiable for you? Like, is there one thing where you're like, I know enough, like because of my <laughs> research or, or, you know, I know that yeah. this is just, I can't slide on this one thing. What, what, what would it be? I, you know, I wouldn't say for me, for my husband, it's motorcycles and fireworks. He says no. Oh, as, a, as, as an emergency. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> never in our family. But he's, you know, had too much of that in the ER. But uh, I, yeah. absolutely. No, that <laughs> he's makes seen too much. But <laughs> well, you know, if if your guts are splattered all over the highway, then you yeah. can't metabolize food. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you become a zombie. But yeah. <laughs> Oh wow! All right, so it's fireworks and motorcycles yeah. for 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 him. Do you have one? You know, nothing that we've experienced so far, but yeah. I have. But they're young, right? I imagine we'll we'll come into some, uh, we'll meet some hard lines here in the next decade or so when, um, they get a little older and they're more able to make make some decisions on their own. And what about for you, Justin? Um, well, one thing I would ask you about is what do you think about fruit juice? Like, is that oh, something? Oh, yeah. We don't do fruit juice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to knock it out of his hand if someone hands it to the birthday party. You know what I Yeah, like a Shaquille O'Neal. Just, yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's that's a great, great point. Yeah, no, I mean, we don't, those kind of things we just don't keep in the house. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, we don't we don't have fruit juice in the house. He doesn't. I don't even know that he really knows what juice is. And so for parents listening to this who are like, wait, what juice? Why, uh, um, yeah. w- what are your thoughts on juice? Why, why don't you have any juice in, in your house? Yeah. So because I think, you know, most fruit juices that are sold, you know, as marketed to children have as much sugar in them as a bowl of ice cream or a couple of donuts. And they don't have the fiber too. So I, I'm not or like- Or anything, I'm not it's just straight fruit. sugar. I mean, there's nothing else right. in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, my kids eat fruit, you know, I'll give him an orange. Yeah. Yeah. I have no right. problem with that. But yeah. to give him a glass of orange juice that is stripped of the fiber, so it doesn't slow the absorption of that sugar- and then, and then it's literally like the amount of sugar in I don't know how many oranges, you know, it's just, it's taking something that I'm perfectly fine with and then kind of removing the best things about it and then uh, making it even worse. So, yeah, I mean, I just think, yeah, we just pretty much drink water for the kids. It's water and he, he drinks whole milk. So one of my questions was for both of you, if you could give parents just one piece of advice on metabolic health for the kids, like one thing to start today to focus on, what would it be? I think fruit juice is an easy one. Do either of you have any other ones that are just some like first steps today? Give, give this a, a try. I mean, as not being a parent, I would, I, <laughs> speaking from not having experience on how challenging it might be, uh, I would say try to stick to whole foods as much as possible. Like, you know, if it's packaged, you probably want to try to avoid that as much as you can. And that's sort of the first step. They talk about sh- sort of shopping on the outside of the aisle. Like yeah, the, the perimeter. Yeah. Right? I mean, yep. I, I would say whole food, you're, you're going to be kind of moving towards sort of in the right direction and staying away from the package stuff that has the preservatives that has all the, so many different sort of additions to it than what it was in its whole state. 
you know, you really, um, not to get too deep into the weeds with ingredients, you just stick with the whole stuff, you know, and, yep. and yeah. you're headed in the right direction. I would say that to you. And then just prioritizing active fun, just getting your kid outside every day. It's so pervasive and easy now to, especially right now, I know it's complicated, you know, people have many reasons to use like a lot of, um, screen time because of specific obstacles, but just making that a daily part of the routine and, and, and prioritizing that for children, I think is really critical. So I don't think it can be underestimated how important that is. To go off of that. I mean, one thing that I do for myself every day is just making sure I, you know, start my day with sunlight, like getting outside, even if it's for 10, 15 minutes, there's a pretty powerful, you know, effect for just being in the sunshine um, that I think, you know, maybe all of us can kind of practice just literally taking a, a bit of a walk outside or, you know, whatever the case may be, but trying to get in some sunshine every day can be really powerful. Uh, it sounds mm. so simple and so strange, but, you know, I think as humans, that's sort of what Absolutely. we come to need. And without sunblock, right? <laughs> yeah. There you go. I mean, I, yeah, we could get into a whole uh, rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think we have underestimated the importance of getting sunshine and how, I mean, every sort of form of life, you know, plants, animals, we, we all need sort of light and it's so underestimated. And I mean, you're starting to hear more and more about it with vitamin D, you know, the talk around vitamin D and and COVID and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an important thing. I have a related question to the tips for parents when it comes to, uh, you know, kind of what are the, what are the small things that we can do as we're trying to make these little changes and steps, uh, towards health from the standard American lifestyle. And so we've got some really great, small, actionable things. Have you seen folks who dive into the health and wellness space who kind of on the opposite end of this were like, my kids are going to be carnivore. My kids are going to do uh, be vegan, my kids are, or whatever it might be. Do you have any tips when it comes to child nutrition that, uh, you know, or a perspective on this anyway of, of like floating to the extremes? So I'm not a dietitian or yeah. anything, you know, related to that. I don't know a lot about it. I just know in science, nothing is ever black and white. And if you get in yourself in a silo where you become so convinced, you know, that this very extreme version of one way of doing things is the only possible way, I, I would take a step back and assess all sides of the situation because you will almost always find some nuance to bring to kind of give yourself a different perspective. And especially when it comes to children, you know, they're... Yeah growing and to you know they're growing and they have different requirements it goes back to this idea of like catabolism versus anabolism they have different needs and requirements and things diets for example impact them differently and we know that there's also not research really in children and diets usually so to make bold claims about like extreme kind of scenarios as it pertains to children in particular i think is a little it's concerning um in my perspective I think that's so helpful. I mean, it really brings the focus back to what we call whole fierce foods as uh, as the win and the approach. And I know for our family, we, I mean, we went 
keto crazy, you know, in a, in a positive way when we found it. Um, and it, it did so much for Max. We all went all in. But our son had an aggressive or a growing brain. Tumor. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And in the, in the cool learning that has come out of it is that all four of us eat differently. We put the same dinner on the table every night. We provide, uh, similar to you, Angela, we, we, we have oranges and apples and we've got, you know, a variety of, of, of things like that of, you know, we always have whole foods around. We've got our quest products, certainly. Um, but we need and to make like a that. note that right now Max is not on a ketogenic diet. And so that's why we can have those. Uh, yeah. Max is on a higher protein, yeah. lower carb diet right now. Um, but still, even when he is, uh, and has been fully keto, we've taken that bio-individual approach. And it's been an evolution for us because we went from being like, what's fair for everyone in the family and everyone's going to eat the same way to, we all have different needs. And so mommy, you know, has hypothyroidism and has a hard time with lactose. So she needs this, you know, daddy uh, just really loves sardines and salad. So he's fine with that approach. And Maisie, it's a similar sort of thing. Like we're going to provide the more flexibility for her in the home to make those choices. And when she goes out in the world, you know, we're not restricting what she does at birthday parties and at friends' houses or anything like that. And um, she's ended up making some really good choices for us. So she has her little Annie's mac and cheese and does stuff like that, but she will also eat an entire double flat of raspberries yeah. in <laughs> one sitting. Okay. You know, like yeah. and it's so it's it's a really it's it's a hard thing. Because there's like no book that you're going to buy that's going to show you how to do this. And I think that that's the difficult thing is like really working with your family and your kids on what feels nourishing, like what feels good to you? What are the triggers for you where you know, you know, maybe I'm not feeling great after eating this, or maybe this isn't something that would be a good habit for me. You know, I think that's the, that's the challenging part, but also the huge opportunity. Well, I, I feel a little differently. Oh, do you? He <laughs> so when I hear do what feels good to you, I get concerned because our, we live in a food environment that if I do really what feels good to me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying not what feels or, good, or like mindful, for, like what feels right, like. Right. right. I um, just as in full disclosure before Max was diagnosed, like an Audra to her credit, you know, was not happy with this, but I would come home with like Lunchables and just like the most uh, juice bar, like what the easiest, the things that kids, you know, like, Hey, we all, he loved to eat smart start every morning. Like, I don't know if you remember oh, that cereal well, I, and it would cut okay, the roof and, of your and mouth I, and you'd be like, but it says smart on it. I eating mean, it's like huge mixing bowl yeah. size full of corn pops. It was just like the entire box, which would, would, would go in. So, <laughs> So right, I so for me, I have to think. All right, I now have gone far enough down all these different paths that I know what what eventually feels good to me. Like if I if I eat this way, I know how 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 I'm going to feel. But Angela, as you alluded to, parenting, especially when the kids are young, as young as you, you have, I mean, and you're juggling a career, and you know, and and all this. Um, I, yeah, I just know what, what feels good is just a little piece, you know, just a little, <laughs> just like some, some fast, peaceful eye, like, can we just get this thing done? And so I wonder if there are some more guidelines that we could add 
add in. Um, so we have Whole Foods, you know, go in, go in the more Whole Food direction activity. But I'm wondering if there are some other little pieces of advice that we might be able to... I, just something came to mind when you were saying that, because I think your comment about a little piece is what feels good. I completely understand that. And <laughs> I, I have... Um, my difficulty is if I have not planned ahead mm. and have you know a healthy meal that I can make in a pretty quick amount of time when I get home or even better, I've already made it and now it's just waiting to be warmed up and I have it on hand. And if I don't have, you know, the, the snacks that I want my kids to be eating when they're hungry and myself that I want to reach for when I'm hungry, avocados or berries or whatever it is, I will order food because Uber Eats is like the craziest, most easy thing in the world. And then always make poor choices when I order right from a restaurant. Mm. So for me, it's like, it's really a significant like uh, benefit to me and my family's health when I just make that commitment to really thinking ahead of time and planning. Planning, planning. Because yeah. once I'm already hungry and exhausted, oh my gosh, you know, oh, it's just... All bets are off. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I don't know. That's nothing very insightful, but it helps. It works for us for sure. No, I think it's super insightful. Again, not speaking from a place of, you know, having kids, but trying, but, but loving kids, like trying to make things fun and being, mm-hmm. and having it be an inclusive experience with them, much like what you guys do with Max Love so well is, is making it be sort of a fun thing. I think maybe many families sort of see it as just maybe mom or dad cooking in the kitchen, but I think you can involve the family in a way that makes it exciting for, for kids too, and makes it sort of this like educational process at the same time. Now, granted that takes a lot of planning and a lot of time and things. So that's not maybe always possible, but where you can maybe on the weekends is making it something fun and exploring it together because for a lot of families, I think cooking can be just in and of itself can be very daunting and whole foods feel like so much more commitment because you know you really have to understand what you're doing but i think it can be really fun and it can be really simple too with sort of the the right approach ooh i just have a thought about that simple thing um one of the things that going into a ketogenic diet with max and working on getting the right foods at the right time and uh it really forced us to simplify and now I'm, I, I don't, I think maybe at one point in time, I would have thought, well, it's not okay to just have some chicken and broccoli. Like you can't just eat that. But now it's like, well, we've roasted some broccoli and we had a rotisserie chicken and this is what it is. And now I'm like, totally fine with that. I'm like, this is, no, this is actually a fantastic it's a crazy mindset yeah. shift, isn't it? Yeah. Like it, it, it can be really simple. It is, it, <laughs> and the kids like it. Like they're like, oh, great. We get broccoli and rotisserie chicken. <laughs> no, it's true. And Victoria, your point is super well taken too. I and mean, we, we've only seen that again and again and again. When kids have their hands on it, when they're involved with it, when they make the choices, it, whatever the choice might be. I mean, it could be small choices, you know, it could be like, but when they're involved with it, they're invested. And then all of a sudden the outcome is different, right? 
Because they're like, yep. oh, I took part in that. I'm invested in it. It's not just some random thing you put down in front of me and then ask me to eat. And I think that's really powerful along with persistence. You know, some of the tips that we've had to are make some of that, like as you're preparing the meal and you have some of these veggies that you're preparing, make some available to them before dinner when they're really hungry and let them come and introduce it, pick at it, and then let them critique it. What would you do different? I mean, even as, even as a, the little ones, you know, even at three, they can be like, eh, eh, I don't know. I would, you know, try it in this. Well, what if you try it in that? You know, they love to be involved and it makes all the difference in the world. We've recently, my son and I recently, we make eggs together in the mornings now. And he, lo- there's nothing better than a gooey egg you know, for a three-year-old boy, he loves it. Totally. Very, you know, we crack <laughs> totally. up, count the yolks and, add, and then when we break them up, he just loves it. It's just fun. It's like, so cool. Eggs are the best. You just have to be willing to let, the kitchen's going to be messier than you want. Things yeah. aren't as controllable, you know? You got to be willing to like, let go. There's going to be some like little shards of shell <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, in your scrambled eggs or whatever, but, but that's okay. And, you know, a big thing for us too, that we've learned along the way is persistence. Um, one of the cool things about Max going keto was that we had kind of a palate cleanse that happened, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you have a kid who would not even touch spaghetti squash before going keto three months into it, it's like there's spaghetti in the name. Yes. <laughs> I'll have some. Yes. It looks yes. Kind of like I would like, you know, Melon, I, I remember telling them, like, I remember being at that stage, like so many moms, like, you know, uh, eat your melon before you can have dessert or eat your apple before you can have dessert. And and now those are those are dessert. truly desserts yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and valued as such by these kids, you know, but it's definitely I mean, we're going on, gosh, eight years or so. And it has taken that long. You know, it is, it has been a continual push of offering and offering and offering and offering. I don't know, especially when the odds are stacked against us with a standard American lifestyle. I don't know that there's a point where you just win. It is a constant effort, you know, and I think that that's, yeah, it's, it's hard. I just want to recognize that it's hard. You know, you're working. Yeah. it's, it is, I don't know how you guys do it. I mean, I, <laughs> I tell Angela all the time, she's superwoman and same with you guys. I mean, it's, I, I can only imagine, you know, I sit here not being a parent just saying, well, just involve the kids. And just that simple act is probably, I can't even imagine how challenging, but on the same time, I, I, I can imagine that it probably provides the child with a level of confidence that they might not have had before. And they sort of start to feel empowered that, I can be involved in something uh, so significant, you know, eating is a part of everybody's life multiple times a day. And that has got to be such an incredible learning life learning experience, I would imagine. But the point A to point B to get there, I'm sure <laughs> I can't imagine how difficult and how not simple. I mean, cause I would, I would imagine that one of the biggest challenges for many families is just the outside influences. Like you can try yes. to do things all you can in the house but you want social, you know, social interaction is so important and not everybody's going to be on the same whole food wavelength that you are, right. you know? So much yep. like what yep. Angela said, I'm not going to smack it out of his hand. Yep. It's hard though, at the same time to oh, like, yeah. you know, when you have exposure like that to other things that maybe don't fit within what you're trying to do, that throws a wrench in that, that point A to point B <laughs> process. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's hard work. And it strikes me with Metabolic Summit, Health Summit, I'm sorry, that you see 
a lot of this. You see a lot of people making major, major life changes and working very hard. And there's a sort of narrative, I feel like, around, especially with parenting, that um, these things should be easier. And I, I, I don't know. I think it can be tough, tough as a as a mom and, you know, somebody like through what we're doing at the Maxwell Project to to share that the project of thriving, of health and well-being for your family is indeed work. Yeah. Um, and it's worth it. You know, it's worth yeah. the hard work. But I do think that there's something that's difficult about that in our kind of very convenience driven American society. I know I wasn't raised with that way of thinking and with that way of thinking around um, health and well-being. So it can be very difficult. Yeah. I mean, having anything kind of start to take that sort of like habit place in your life. I mean, especially when you were raised a certain way and not and with that level of convenience and whatnot, it's like literally changing your entire mindset. I mean, one way I can kind of relate to that is just in working with a variety of cancer patients in some of the, some of the pilot studies. Uh, it was so challenging and so difficult, um, but so empowering in the process. If you can get through that learning curve and that struggle to feel like you actually play a really active role in your life and can make these choices that do make a big difference down the line and teach your kids that too. I think there's something so powerful to that. And I think, like you said, it's worth, it's worth the struggle. So I, you know, keep on persevering through it. Um, it makes a difference. Yeah, it's a powerful way to put it. You know, it's like learning how to work on your house or any other life skill. You know, it's like when you can do your own plumbing to some degree, I mean, that is awesome, right? Like that is empowering. And I love that feeling that you have after. I think that's a a, a great way to frame it for people who are thinking, it, do we get over a hump? Is Does it get easier? It does get easier. Yeah, I would agree. I think so. I mean, I've... Uh you know, worked with a lot of sort of nutrition uh, clients over the years and uh, following a totally different way of life is, is always a struggle. It always feels uncomfortable, but some of the most beautiful things come out of discomfort, I, I think, yes. in life and, and are worth it at the end of the day. But it does get easier, I think. But, you know, I'm not speaking from the, the perspective of a parent, but somebody who's put myself through the ringer many different ways. Yes. So, um. you know. So one of the ways uh, this has gotten easier for me, at least, is seeing the effect of these changes in my own life. And so when I make these nutritional changes or physical activity or more sun or sleep, the whole, the whole thing, I notice a difference in myself. And so that motivates me to uh, do this for my kids. So I'm wondering for both of you, what are the uh, metabolic health actions that you're working on right now that are kind of at, at like new and challenging for you? Like what is, what is really exciting in your own personal health journeys uh, in regard to metabolic health right now? This whole past year, I've really... Um rededicated myself to cooking a lot a lot more than I used to because things have slowed down obviously I'm working from home and stuff and so I'm able to which is fantastic and that, that's been a huge um, I also got an air fryer which is like 
Amazing. Oh, I want one. I really want one. <laughs> what do you make with it? Everything. Everything. You literally make everything. I don't understand. It's literally just magic. Vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's like Jamaican jerk pork in there that is just like the juiciest. I'm Ooh. So good. I'll, I'll, you got to get an air fryer. I'll send you a recipe. But anyways, that's been a journey for me. But more recently, what I'm trying to do is incorporate more like fun activity into like my exercise so instead of just kind of doing like you know typical kind of workouts for workout sake i i my husband and i used to play ultimate frisbee in oh, man. So yes. i bought, I bought a, a frisbee an ultimate frisbee and i've been making him go to the park with me it's just oh so heck fun. yeah that's so that cool rad. So oh and like our three-year-old will just run in between us. As yeah. we <laughs> 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 this. I need to see this in video. Totally. Yeah. You should come out. But well, not after yeah. the pandemic. And then we'll play some ultimate together. <laughs> 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 that's, that's been me. It's just kind of returning the fun aspect. <laughs> returning the fun. I love it. <laughs> it's it's been a it's been an interesting year for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. There's some new things that have popped up, COVID related, that yep. I'm kind of, I've kind of been working through and so for me, exercise has always been sort of a way to it's sort of been like my, my therapy is, is mm. like working through things through exercise and like exerting that energy and completing the stress cycle is, has always been exercise for me. So not having that, I would say over the last three months has really pushed me into adapting and evolving much like what we've done with Metabolic Health Summit into finding new ways to kind of just take in all of life's awesomeness at the moment. <laughs> um, so a little bit of sarcasm there, but um, <laughs> so, so things like, um, you know, I've always had kind of a meditation practice, but I've kind of done it sort of sporadically when I felt like, you know, sort of, oh, I really need it today. So instead I've been really trying to uh, focus on making that sort of a daily thing and also incorporating um, just focus on my breath in the process. Um, mm. That, uh, you know, obviously with meditation, you you can focus on breath, but but m- making it more, a little bit more um, on purpose of sort of doing a little bit of breath work in between, uh, specifically too, because I, I did suffer some breathing problems with COVID. I've, that's been really helpful to me to bring my sort of focus back to something so simple that along with, uh, I have been taking some fun cold showers, uh, you know, the, oh. the, <laughs> I've oh. been doing that, uh, daily actually. And I, I like it from the perspective of, uh, just simply getting through a cold shower kind of like trickles into other facets of your life where you're faced with this sort of like, Oh, shocking stress <laughs> response. But if you can kind of face that sort of reaction and instead go through it and, and not react and sort of like, this is getting a little weird, but um, no, 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 no. I mean, so just to give any listeners context who, who might be saying like, why in the heck would you want to do a cold shower? This is this, this, this become quite popular in the health world. I'd say over the last what, 10, five, 10 years. Um, yeah and and uh and and so it's supposed to have um well i i don't want uh, i mean is is it supposed to be hormetic in the sense that it it you know provides a stress on the body and that the response to that stress is supposed to be healthy is that the basics that that parents would need to know about taking the a basics. super cold yeah, shower I mean, 
there, there's a variety of information out there about why that might be sort of beneficial, why not. But for me, I would say I kind of enjoy doing it first thing in the morning because it kind of forces me to get into this like really solid mindset of instead of reacting to stress, I kind of like work through it first thing in the morning. Mm. And it, it brings me back to that simplicity of just focusing on my breath and being aware of sort of what sort of is going on with my body first thing in the morning. It just wakes me up as well. I think there's uh, obviously a lot of information out there that you could find on it. But for me, I think it's been, it's been really interesting to kind of watch um, how I've changed mentally. And I think I, I find I've, instead of channeling a lot of the stress that sort of of the world right now through physical activity, which is what I, I normally use to kind of get through things, I've really kind of gone within myself and, and looked to things like meditation and ways to kind of um, upgrade, you know, and, and get through these challenging times through using the power of, of my mind. And I yeah. think that that's really interesting because there is such a, I mean, if you look at one of the most interesting areas for, for me within the research right now is, is, I mean, not to go, you know, out of the left field, but nutritional Psychiatry, I think, is a really good example of, you know, how, how interconnected, you know, mind, body. And so I've really been kind of focusing on that a lot, um, you know, because I've not had sort of that physical activity side of things. It's been a really interesting, eye-opening sort of experience. It's always, you know, I've always incorporated it, but I'm taking it to a new level. Awesome. That's powerful, Victoria. I can just imagine... Um, I guess what comes up for me hearing you reflect on this, it, because I know from knowing you how important physical activity has been, um, the grief that can accompany that, you know, that the way that you've been able to work with and use your body and, and even enjoy that. I mean, to lose that for some time has got to be incredibly difficult. Um, so I just... I felt that as you were sharing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've gone through periods of injury before I, I used to compete uh, professionally in the world of fitness. And, and so I've been through that before, but it's really interesting when you face something like COVID that provides these weird uh, heart and lung related issues mm. that can linger that are so outside of your control. So, you know, coming from a background of being, you know, a professional athlete and, being so in control of that has really, I think it's been a really great opportunity to continue to work on that mental side of things that I think also is very powerful. I mean, I, that's why I, you know, I, I personally feel sort of the stress management and, and I think it's amazing that you guys include that so heavily in, in with Max Love because you know, being able to manage stress and being able to work through things instead of being, I mean, so many of us, especially right now are in kind of this reactionary yeah. sort of state yes. and thinking yes. about what that does to the body and constantly being in this state of fight or flight, you know, not being able to manage my, uh, you know, the stress of the world through exercises really made it even more evident to me how important that, that piece is. And finding different ways to kind of work through it has been, has been pretty powerful and very, I see it as sort of an oppor opportunity, I guess I, I shifting my perspective instead of, you know, obviously, yes, there's some grief going through losing exercise, but also seeing it as not what I can't, cannot do, but mm. here's where I can. But what you can, you know? that so. proactivity that's yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like your perspective. So I had only thought about cold showers in terms of like, 
what sort of cellular processes are going on when you're freezing. And it wasn't (laughs) enough. Uh, Honestly, that narrative around the, you know, cellular mechanisms was not enough for me to go through it. Like I tried it for about a month. And I was like, I, uh, this is so terrible. I, I don't care. Like if this adds six months onto my life when I'm 80, Stop I don't it. care. Like I'll, I'll die. And, but what you just said was something that I have found to be so important in mindfulness, meditation, in my own personal, you know, emotional growth is, can I just be with this? Like, can I just be with what's happening right now? And, exactly and, right. and, and so that's what I'm hearing from, from you is like, you know, getting into that cold shower. Can I just be with this? Like, can I just be here? You know, like that's, that's super powerful. That's exactly what it is. I think um, there's a, I think I can't make myself feel uncomfortable in the gym right now. So, <laughs> so I can go through a very uncomfortable, much like you. I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of information, all kinds of theories and things out there on cold showers in general. But for me, I found the most power in just challenging myself to be sort of okay with it and Mm -hmm. just kind of sit in it much like, you know, a lot of things in life. I think. Yeah. um, Can I be okay with this, with, with this feeling of despair that I have or grief or, you know, anger? Like, can I just be with this? Can I just be with it? Like head on. I think that's what 2020 taught so many of us is that like, this is going to be uncomfortable for a while. We've got to learn how to, how to live and how to still be grateful and how to, you know, foster relationships and do all these things and just be with what's happening. Still take action, of course, but not just like when I say just be not being sort of complacent, but like, you know, really challenging. No, it's like a radical engagement with it. Can I, can mm, I just radical engage engagement. with, it, with I like this? That. Ooh, that's good. Good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so I see it. We are, we are getting close up to our, to our time. So I want to give you guys enough time to talk real quick about the metabolic health summit. So uh, you weren't able to do it this year. Uh, COVID, you know, it just disrupted everything, but it's coming back next year. Can you just tell us briefly, what is Metabolic Health Summit at this point in its evolution? And what can we expect in the future? I would say Metabolic Health Summit has, has evolved so much over the years, but it's had sort of this core, like this mission at its at its core. I mean, we we set out to really, I mean, our goal is to revolutionize science and medicine by refocusing our attention, sort of we've drifted away on, you know, nutrition, metabolism, and sort of its common thread throughout uh, everything from human disease to human performance, longevity, I mean, you name it, everything that we sort of touch as human beings. And to do that in a way that provides people with the very latest science, I think that's so in, such a key component to Metabolic Health Summit is making sure that what we do every day is backed by what the what is the bleeding edge science tell us right now, and that's why we called it Metabolic Health Summit is because it's not called you know the ketogenic summit. It's because it, it extends way past that, right? It, it that's obviously a, a big. The ketogenic diet and obviously uh, metabolic therapy in that sense is a, co- a very strong part of the conference. However, the science could lead us in a completely different direction. So our goal is to bring the very top experts from around the world, you know, the cl- clinicians, the, the academics, the people that are in the trenches doing the work 
doing the research to really show us what, what is the science telling us about uh, nutrition, metabolic therapies, metabolic health in, in general, and giving that to both the medical professional all the way to the general public. I think what's really interesting about our scientific conference is that it started as sort of an academic meeting and it became very evident very quickly that we needed to include the general public, like to continue this mission of changing the course of how we look at, you know, uh, lifestyle and, and medicine and how it all intertwines. It's so important to include the public, I think, in that process, because we were having patients come to our conference saying, I, I, I want to try to implement this. I want to try to improve my health. I want to learn to empower myself. And so it was a little bit of a, uh, in the evolution, it was a little uh, risky to kind of like try to bring the two worlds together, but truly uh, it's become this place where keto science does meet society. It's this blending of these two worlds that somehow we managed to, you know, kind of give to the world in a very synergistic way that I think, you know, we have to, our goal is to really now, you know, educate educate the people sort of on the front lines, the medical professionals, the, the RDs that, you know, and provide credit in doing that. So continuing medical education through watching the presentations that you might find at the conference, you know, but also providing this experience that really allows for people to take home more than just much what, like you were saying, um, Justin, we want to provide more than just this sort of like very black and white, here's the information. Uh, we want to provide this experience that takes the science and really shows you what it's like in, in the real world. And so you will not only get very cutting edge science from, you know, the, the clinicians and academics that are doing the work and the research, but you'll also get to experience uh, what a, what a ketogenic, uh, a culinary, you know, ketogenic meal looks like at a gala dinner or, um, you know, it's down to like every single piece of food that's offered at the conference, the entertainment. I mean, two years ago, we really evolved into providing a sort of entertainment at, at the gala dinner where a BMX, pro BMX athlete who I connected with, who had suffered from multiple brain tumors, who found ketogenic metabolic therapy and uses it to really thrive. And, and it's really changed him in many ways. He's found many benefits to it uh, in, in alongside standard of care. He actually lost his sort of ability to ride his bike for some time. And then I connected with him after he'd really found the ketogenic diet and, and was doing quite well. I remember I was talking on the phone. He's like, well, what about, I could maybe perform. I was like, that sounds amazing. Can we build a ramp in the ballroom? It was so <laughs> incredible. Oh yeah. I will never forget that. Never. <laughs> oh, good. It was one of those moments where I don't think Angela and I ate for like, <laughs> for like two days. <laughs> yeah, totally. We like had to, we were just like everything was working up to that moment. Like, please let it all go stupidly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Scary, you know, because here's this here's this amazing, inspiring professional athlete who's literally felt like he lost his his heart and soul with riding his bike to like getting through it, using ketogenic metabolic therapy as as sort of like a, a tool, and now like performing flips in the ballroom on a 65 foot ramp. That's the kind of thing that, that we want to do. It's not just an event. It's an experience that really will provide people. I mean, our goal at the end of the day, and what we've had to really do uh, with the pandemic is think of new ways to continue that education with, without live events. Obviously we're going to continue the conference and we're going to continue to bring people together. That wasn't possible this year, but 
it's really opened our minds to how we can reach more people uh, more deeply uh, online as well. So I think that's the next sort of evolution of MHS is to how do we continue to educate the people, you know, that are making big changes in the world that are interacting with patients and uh, do that from the comfort of their own home. So that's where we're headed. And Angela, please add to what I just <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful. No, I, you know, the only thing that comes to mind is it is MHS is a place for collaboration. And I think that was a huge impetus when we put it the very first conference so many years ago, we basically were like, we, we need all of these people that were working on this kind of stuff individually to come together because that's how things move forward so much more quickly and not just, you know, as, as a scientist, I'm thinking from, you know, oh, this person who studies, you know, for epilepsy and I, I work on cancer and this person works on metabolic disease, but not just individual academics, but clinicians speaking to scientists, speaking to industry partners, speaking to nonprofit partners, speaking to the general public. And I can't even tell you how many like stories I've heard of, you know, just relationships and collaborations and things that have grown out of meetings and experiences at MHS, just really proving that, you know, that power of human connection you know, digital is fantastic, but but getting people together, and I can't wait till we can do it again. But man, it it's made like massive changes in the world already. Um, and I think I think that's a huge part of what MHS is and provides as well. Yeah, to to really quickly follow up on what you just said, uh, that is one of uh, I would say my favorite parts of it is coming together so we can talk about how to how to collaborate. I mean, I think working together is one of the biggest ways that we can kind of push this forward where we can only do so much individually. But once you bring, you know, all these people who are feeling like they were working in silos, maybe working on different things, but once you bring them together and you can start to talk about some of the similar mechanisms and I mean, we can do so much more with that. And then uh, one of my most favorite parts of the conference you know, it's, it's four days of, of uh, presentations from, you know, the very sort of in the weeds science all the way to application in the real world. But there's also a, a scientific poster session, which if you've been to a scientific conference, it's literally, it's researchers from around the world. And it's one of the most inspiring things ever where you walk through and literally posters for those who haven't been posters are set up where you can learn about research that hasn't even been published yet uh, of what's happening. I mean, that's, that's like the bleeding edge of uh, just, I find it so in, intensely inspiring and leave that poster session like, man, this makes me want to, you feel like you want to like go out and change the world after that. There's a sort of a totally. buzz that comes off of it. Totally. Right? I couldn't agree more. And on the society side, I consider myself to be a society that gets introduced to this thing, to the science things to you all. Um, there's really powerful um, education and support that happens there through having access to this science directly. Um, one thing that really occurs to me too is that we get to learn more about science. We get to learn more about the methods. We get to learn. And one thing that I have learned is humility. I have learned these boundaries thanks to you all and the scientists who've shared their time with us at Metabolic Health Summit. Um, I've learned, uh, you know, what what do we know? That's always sort of like a, we've learned that this suggests this one thing. 
um, it's not evangelical. I think that's one of the things that's really powerful about, about MHS is that this isn't just like a fan club, you know, sort of thing of a, you know, a multi-level like marketing conference, <laughs> right? Like fan club mentality is like my worst nightmare. So. It's, it is, it's, I feel like there's really powerful learning that the society side needs direct access to science for this reason. You know, the the intermediary of the influencer, which is what we're seeing very much a lot of around health and wellness on, on social media, especially can be really difficult. Some influencers have it down. Some do not. And and I think that big sweeping um, sort of generalizations can easily be made. You know, thoughts around what these interpretations of scientific evidence, you know, can be easily um, kind of waved around. And at MHS, you really get a, a reason, like you get, you can talk to the folks doing the research and say, well, this is what this suggests. This is what we can say. There's good evidence here. And it helps you, I, I don't know, it's helped me tremendously anyway. So usually there is gatekeeping with this. Normally at ac academic conferences, society's not allowed in. <laughs> and so I think it's a huge thing to bring us all together and to be able to facilitate these conversations. Um, I'm incredibly grateful for what you all do. Well, we're incredible, incredibly grateful for your support. And it's been so amazing to be able to sort of partner with you guys in some ways. You know, I just, we, we feel inspired by what you do in the world because we see how important and how needed it is for other families out there with, you know, with Max Love Project, but now with the family thrive, I mean, you're really uh, filling a need that has need needed to be met for so long. And it's really exciting to see where it goes. It's such an important component. Um, I think to what we're trying to do is including families in that conversation, because that's real life that, you know, that's where our mentality is. It's like, let's provide a platform of legitimate science, but let's also include the everyday person in that conversation because yeah. we see how important that is. Essential. Oh, yes. Well, I feel the synergy for sure. And before we sign off here and continue to give each other props and hugs and all, <laughs> all that stuff, we have three questions that we ask every podcast guest. And so now you both are on the hot seat. So the first question is if you could put a big post-it note right on every parent's fridge tomorrow morning, what would that post-it note say? So I was glad that you sent us these because I needed to think about it, right? Yeah. I need like two more hours to think about it. Because I would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is something I've heard elsewhere and I can't recall where, but it really struck a chord with me. And it's that the way you speak to your child becomes their inner voice. Mm, yes. And Ooh. I'm just daily reminded how important that is in building who he's, who they are going to be down the line the way nice. that I speak to him on a daily basis. That's so powerful. Wow. That's uh yeah. I don't know how to follow that. Deep, one. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Victoria. <laughs> bring it down even to a more fundamental level, what we speak and what we say, oftentimes not going back to sort of the reactionary thing, but to go back to that reactionary thing. Sometimes we need to take a second and a pause and a breath 
to create space between what we're thinking and what comes out of our mouth, right? Thank you. Yeah. So to kind of bring it backwards a little bit, I would just have a post-it note that says breathe. Um, it sounds just so simple. Breathe. Yeah. Take a breath. <laughs> Take I'm going to put pause. both of these, yeah. these up on my fridge. I absolutely love them. <laughs> I said, I'm going to put both of these up both, on, yeah, on yeah, our yeah, fridge. Totally. I mean, I love them. I, Victoria, totally. It's that space between stimulus and response. And that is exactly the space that you need when you're going to take a deep breath and consider how you speak to your child and consider how you speak to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the, the difference between making good food, food choices and bad food choices right. as well, right? Just taking a second. Yeah. Taking Slow a second. down. Take a deep breath. Yeah. 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 And if you still make the bad food choice, you've thought about it. You're like, I want it. (laughs) Own it. And I'm going to be mindful as I eat this. All right. So the second one is uh, what is the last quote that has changed the way you think or feel? And I know there might be some overlap here, but uh, give it a shot. This is what I, I heard recently. An author by the name of Nora Roberts said something along these lines. This is not direct. The key to juggling everything in life is knowing which balls you're juggling are glass and which are plastic. Ooh. Ooh. So Perspective. Priorities. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Some things you can drop and they bounce and you can get them later. And some things you drop and they shatter. So Ooh. just keeping that in mind. Ooh. Yeah. I'd never heard that. Yeah, yeah Victoria, you got to bring your A game. <laughs> <laughs> no expectations, Victoria. Victoria, we we embrace and accept everything. We- <laughs> there's one that there's one quote that we've had in every single conference program that I find really inspiring. It's by A Wei uh, Weiwei. It's uh, which is he's sort of like a world renowned artist. If you're familiar, uh, creativity is the power to reject the past uh, to change the status quo and to seek new potential. And I just feel like for, for me, I mean, creativity is it's sort of the heart and soul of everything. And what we do with MHS is really thinking outside of the box and allowing for that creativity to shine, even amongst sort of the scientific world. I think it's obviously so critical. And so that would be one that sort of in- inspired me for a long time. Uh, but another one that's come uh, that that inspires me now that I recently sort of read and to go back to the sort of reactionary sort of breath thing is your perception of me is a reflection of you and my reaction to you is an awareness of me. Mm. I kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, I just think what I've noticed more than ever over the course of the last year is just uh, is really that just taking a second and uh, responding and not reacting to things. And there's so much more, you know, that peace, I think, that we all try to find within our lives comes from that sort of understanding and awareness and lack of reaction and more responding to things. Um, so that would be more of my recent one. And that was two, and I totally break the, broke the rules. But I felt <laughs> that was yeah, yeah. I love it. Angela was creativity. just coming with these, yeah, with the deep ones that you had to add, add two. I had to add like five. Um, <laughs> All right, so so this is the last one. As we know, and Angela's right in the thick of things here, that uh, it can be really exhausting to raise children. And so a lot of parents, especially if you have a you know kid less than one and another at three, and you, I'm sure Angela have talked with other parents. You're like, oh my god, I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted. My yeah. kids, oh my god. So 
we're all in that. We're like, we all get it. So we want to just end this by just celebrating kids and just focusing on something that we just absolutely love about kids. And so what is your favorite thing about kids? I love that kids are just absolutely hilarious. They just offer. <laughs> compl- they don't know what they're supposed to say or think yet. They don't know what society thinks they should view things as. And they just offer this completely unfiltered, raw view of the world. And it is hilarious. And that's one of my favorite things about kids. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Man. Um, I would sort of to go off of that. I, I just um, so often uh, look at children and just with their ability to play so freely. And it just reminds me how it's so easy to get so caught up in all of life's stuff that we forget to play and we forget to be sort of that raw, candid, you know, not sort of thinking about what you should say or should be or whatever so much of that sort of constricts and, and constrains who we really are, especially mm. with social media, you know, keeping and it that, real. Yeah. Keeping it yeah. Real and allowing yourself some playtime. <laughs> I love that Victoria. It, it, it reminds me of presence. You know, the kids, the kids are so in the moment yes, and so present that they can just be in that way. And that sort of like joyful, playful self with that active imagination just sort of is overabundant. Right. And, and vibrating, like they're just vibrating with it. And we see that even in, with Maxa Project with kids in treatment, they're that vibrating, powerful being of, of presence carries everyone else because they're not, you know, they're not like, oh, well, you know, uh, weighted down. They end up walking into treatment and like, so I want to be able to play with this toy and I want to be able to do this next thing because they're so present. And so I love I love that ref- reflection. It really resonates with me. Yeah. I mean, they, they're not sort of weighed down by the burden of anxiety about the future or sad about sort of what happened in the past. They're literally right in that moment. I yep. 1 million percent agree with that. And uh, they keep us ground- grounded. I really think. Mm. Mm. Awesome. All right. Real, real so quick true. before we go. So how can people find out more about Metabolic Health Summit? Yeah, metabolichealthsummit.com is the best place. But we're also, we really uh, make an active effort to provide free content online. So at Metabolic Health Summit on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you can find us everywhere. We uh, do offer a variety of free, uh, incredible content. Uh, Just launched a ketogenic metabolic therapy 2020 in review ebook. So if you want, incredible. Yeah, I've seen it. It's awesome. Awesome. Um, if you want sort of like a snapshot of what happened in, in 2020, at least sort of an overview, maybe not everything, but a good portion of it with sort of those key uh, findings, you can find that on our website, as well as our social platforms and videos with top experts sort of interviews yeah. as well. So yeah, metabolichealthsummit.com, you'll find it all there. Beautiful. Yeah, you do a stellar job of providing really phenomenal educational information in these outlets where you're meeting people where they are. And I I just love it. I learn something every single day I pull up Instagram, I learn from you instead of it being like some sort of a scroll, you know, there's always something like like rich going on in your social media. It's awesome. Oh, thanks. We we try to provide value however we can beyond just the once a year event. I mean, I think that's yeah. evident. We need to reach far beyond 
that. Well, you built a community. You built a family. You know, it's like as we go to the event every year or engage on social media or the friends we've made. I mean, you just you're it is it's a it's a really, really wonderful, um, supportive community. Um, it's so much it's so much more than a, a conference or an event. Thank you. That means a lot. It, it comes from a big place of passion for us. We're a small but mighty team. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, we can't wait for uh, 2022. It'll yeah. be awesome. Big celebration. Yeah, and we'll see you guys there. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Thank you. uh, Yes, we yep, we can't we can't wait for uh really big things in the future for you guys. Yeah, we appreciate you you so much. And we appreciate just the same. I can't wait to see where things go and the impact you guys continue to make with families. Hey, thanks for listening to the Family Thrive Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, tell two friends, and head on over to Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts and give us a review. We're so grateful you've chosen to join us on this Family Thrive journey.